Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm your host, Peter Ayers, and I wanted to start this episode by sharing some exciting information. The Stages podcast will record live in Sydney for the very first time as part of the Ideas Program at the 2022 Vivid Festival. Engaging and informative, the show is a vital chronicle of oral histories from Australia's rich arts heritage. The podcast has featured 285 conversations thus far with creative artists and performers from a range of performing arts disciplines. This three-series event at Vivid will celebrate the contribution of three key elements vital to the art of telling stories. On Thursday, June 2nd, my guest will be producer Carmen Pavlovich. Thursday, June 9th, we welcome costume designers Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch. And the series is completed on Thursday, June 16th, when our guest is the artistic director of the Griffin Theatre Company, Declan Green. Tickets are free, and to register, just visit the Vivid website and search for Stages Live. There are going to be three fantastic conversations, and it'll be great to have you in the audience, watching Stages on stage. We look forward to your company. And now, here's today's episode. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses with creative. Then the next block further down there was the Royal, then the Prince Edward was right opposite the Royal, then the Savoy. And we used to get fined if you were late for the half hour and fined for misbehaving on stage. Just for God's sake, do it better. (laughs) Sometimes that's all you can say. But when you've gone through that, you do get a lot of ego. And you go out there knowing that the one thing that's different every time is that audience. I didn't wake up until... I was in emergency. I was around the uh, world of actors as a child. Crawfords were needing a casting assistant. No business plan, no concept, no training. It's not something you could do now. Went to school on Friday, got on the bus on Saturday, auditioned for the show. They said, you've got the role. I never went back to school again. (laughs) Thank you. I've enjoyed being here talking about my favourite subject. Ego in check, me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a date. (laughs) It's a date. Hi there, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to The Stages Podcast, a conversation about craft and career. My guest in this episode is theatre director and disability advocate Dan Graham. Dan Graham has a particular interest in access support for neurodiverse performing artists. Dan himself has a neurodiverse disability. Dan's directing and access work have seen him travel all over Australia and globally to research and explore access and inclusion. He's engaged with companies such as Bell Shakespeare, Sydney Festival, Sydney Fringe, Antipode Theatre Company and the Ensemble Theatre. His recent collaborations in the US include the Atlantic Theatre Company and Pasadena Playhouse, and in the UK, the Globe Theatre. Dan is a board director of Arts Access Australia and a regular peer assessor for the Australia Council for the Arts. He is the co-chair of the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance's Artists with Disability Board and he is on the LGBTQIA plus Disability Advisory Group for ACON. Dan is a board member of the Hickson Road Group Accessible Arts and a member of Accessible Arts New South Wales Artists Advisory Group. I look forward to an enlightening and passionate conversation with Dan to identify ways in which we can make the arts more accessible for neurodiverse artists on stage and off. 
recording now, okay. so we'll start talking whenever we talk. <laughs> and I was talking about Ivor Van Hovelin. All right. Well, no, I can cut all this out. Oh, you yeah, see, that's that's what they all say. Uh, that's what they all say. No, no, then no. I hear this video and it says... Oh, they don't know who we're talking about. <laughs> Dan Graham, hello. Hello, Peter. Uh, this this conversation's been, um, I would say, a couple of years in the making. <laughs> I've been stalking him. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was very nice to, to, to get your email and, um, and learn about... Uh, an area of the industry which is becoming more prevalent, mm-hmm. uh, something that we, we must consider much more as theatre makers and, and as audience members. So, um, yeah, you were you are an ideal guest, so welcome Thanks. to Stages. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. Yeah. You've, you've suggested to me uh, in our initial <coughs> correspondence that this conversation is going to be controversial. Mm-hmm. Why, why so? I think I say controversial, Peter, in a sense that as you are aware, and a number of your listeners who are over know me or know of the work that I'm doing in the access space, which we're both, uh, going to be discussing primarily, along with obviously my directing hat, so to speak. I always say I wear two hats. I wear two hats, yeah. Exactly. I, I always say that basically in this whole talk, which is obviously super important, that discussion of diversity, often disability, neurodiversity, deaf, hard of hearing, whatever you want to call it, is often overlooked. And as you know, looking at my CV, I, I can say as someone who I've lived experience of disability, backslash neurodiversity, backslash dyslexia, backslash, 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 you know, I uh, feel I come from that lived experience. I always say I can't talk on behalf of other people. I always use myself as the primary source, so to speak. But obviously there are people that come to me and especially let's just say the controversial part, one of the controversial parts, being neurodiversity, the topic that I'm particularly interested in, in terms of an access space, I often have, and when I say often, actually weekly, have artists contacting me, and I'm not and I'm not going to say who, I always make a comment, not just people in the industry, but people in the public would know, contact me, often saying to me, Dan, I've heard that you're doing this work, we know you're being out, so to speak, times two, uh, open about your neurodiversity. But if we mention, if we have a neurodiversity of one form, and I just throw them out there, be it, as I say, dyslexia, autism, Asperger's, depression, Google everyone, so, no, it's a whole lot of things, you know, they won't get work. And when I've had this discussion with a number of people concerned, people, how do I say this, often say to me, oh, this is something really of interest to us. To This is something of interest to us, Dan, which we'll look into, which you know what that means. You know, we'll look into it maybe before I dropped it, you know, and I didn't say that, but yes, I did. Or um, the other comment is, oh, we know you, Dan. And I hate bringing it up so early. If we're talking about disability now as a whole, I always feel like I put in for when I say this, but one out of five Australians have a disability of some form. Mm. So we're not talking about a small section of the, of society. And then you have de- what is my particular interest. And I always say, um, I believe um, performing arts should be experienced or exposed to everyone. And I always make comment, not everyone is going to become an 80-year-old who literally had a bow tie watching the Ligie Awards and the Tony Awards and Academy Awards. And you think I'm joking, and you made to me, you know I'm not, and, and want to have a QE in theatre. But 
they should at least have the opportunity to be exposed to it. And with the work that I am trying to spread the word, so to speak, I think it's very important that basically people are aware, how do we say this, that even still when I tell people, I'm not talk, not just talking about the sector, but I'm talking about the community, when I say I do theatre, I'm often say, oh, is this a hobby of mine? When I mention I have a disability, neurodiversity, and I like to say my master's hex debt wouldn't call it a hobby. Mm. So mm. that's a very long answer, but good luck editing you, that. You got there. <laughs> <laughs> just watch um, Pressing the Table because oh, it picks course. up all of those, those sounds. Sorry, yep. All right, no, that's right. Sure. But surely it's it's the uh, the squeaky wheel that gets oiled. It's important to keep chipping away at absolutely this to to make a dent and and make your make your mark known. I would think so personally, as I said. But I think it's I even give a very simple example in terms of Liz um, via conversations, as you said over this time we've been in contact. Um, I've had a and as again everything happened pre COVID. I had a directing residency at Atlantic Theatre Company on a play called A Mother, um, written by the same guy who um, did The Father with Anthony Hopkins, you know, which he won the Oscar for, along with Christopher Hampton, who I also met, which was incredible, still on Isabelle Herpier, and her comment to me was, oh, I've been in Australia, Dan. I know. Oh, you do? <laughs> so then we... Off the record again. In the maids. In the maids, correct. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that was really a, almost a full circle moment, you know, like almost all oh, if he came back to Oz, you know, because New York had always been this fin of mine, you know, that I'd always wanted explored. And it was bigger. But the point is, I was trying to say, in terms of that, I remember deliberately because of prejudgments and that I have personally experienced judgment because of my disability. And I'm not trying to get a violin, so if I hear that as a sound effect, I know who to blame. <laughs> you know, we need a sound effect, we need a sound effect. Anyway, in terms of that, I remember the first day I was there, they looked at my CV because I thought it was just going to be like observation, not even on mates, but at company for a week or so. And they knew I was there for four weeks. They said, Dan, with looking at your CV, it's not fair to offer you what we offered you. Offer. Oh, okay. Basically, here we go again. And I said, we have to offer you a directing residency. Okay, here I am, one of the best theatre companies in the world. We won't make any David Mamet comments, especially the last few days, if you see people's Facebook feeds. He's not very popular at the moment, I've heard, but it's here or there. I will look into that. I haven't haven't heard that There's been a few things about post uh, Me Too. Is his place, uh, should they be performed, etc. And then we have censorship, etc. But I had a wonderful time, dare I say, at Atlantic. And they said to me, uh, when we they offered this to me, they said to me, what access requirements do you have, Dan? I said, oh, what? And obviously I was away from home, so I was out of my comfort zone. I said, what do you mean? And and, they t- and there was a smile. I said, oh, have you spoken to someone being, I won't say concerned, but maybe concern's the best way to put it. And they said, and then I disclosed being neurodiverse. I said, Dan, the reason why we ask, that's a question we ask for someone who works from a bar to artistic director. What access needs do they have before they start work with us? Mm. And that's what, when I call simple, I mean simple, yeah. I think can be easily implemented 
and in my role at Brand X has been the access consultant, which we might get into, hopefully get into later on. Uh, and we're implementing that at, that's at, at Brand X. And literally, is literally anyone who goes for a job at a theatre company performance space, can I also say drama school, it's up to the individual if they want to disclose their disability. And as I said, if it's hidden, we have a lot of issues of concern. And as I said, I'm not alone in that. And we and it's a consideration yeah. too of the of the the, the building the, the the practicalities of of access. But it, it we is. We talk about that as well to make sure that there are ramps, that there are railings, that there are absolutely. But the dreadful thing is, I would say if you look at I'm not naming any particular names here, but if you look at websites in Australia, theatre companies, performance drama schools, etc., that is when I say common practice, as it should be, not it should be, must should be. But in terms of things like I would need, e.g., and this is a simple thing, I very rarely, personally, Dan Graham, take notes in a rehearsal. I've had people say to me, oh, how do you know what actors are doing? Because I've, I always call it a rewiring thing, because I've rewired my brain to actually have, by people who know me, their own admission, and I will have to pat myself on back unofficially when I say this, you know, have created myself I mean, a really good memory. So you've got a good recall of what recall, you're That's right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I literally can do that. And it also means that I can literally... When I say golf, I can't think of a better word, but incorporate my whole being, and that's not meant to be old Dan, please, but, you know, into the production. I was yeah. jokingly, and it's not jokingly, but call myself a method director, Yeah. you know, and yes, the ramps, hearing loops, etc., are very important. I was making a comment, uh, the show I did, Sam I Am, which again we may discuss, that was the first show my mum was able to see for five years because it was actually accessible for her right. to attend. Right. And because she hasn't been well off late and she's on a walking frame. She's not elderly, but she needed that. And But it is simple things, what we're saying, like, e.g., like, I, by, it's funny to say this, I couldn't read till I was eight at all, you know, or write. I can write very, very slowly, and that's, and I know you know this by knowing me, that's not an intellectual thing, and that's another thing in terms of neurodiversity. And, it, and as I said, I'm not saying people with intellectual disabilities shouldn't perform. Some of the best work is being performed by people in the intellectual disability sphere. I only have to throw, as a prime example, as some of the core group back to back who as you know just won the Ibsen award yeah. you know but I think it's very important to see that basically disabilities is maybe not just someone who's not just but in a wheelchair or needs a hearing loop you know would you work with a scribe when you're a director to, to take down your I would like or? to think I if I could right. but again by people's judgment I would never bring that up in conversation and again, because I've literally, dare I say, had to, and again, violins come again, I've literally had to program myself, and I mean that, program myself to, I don't want to say coping mechanisms, but, you know, strategies, mm. you know, let best seed fear. Like, I was making a joke when I did a production of a Crucible sometime about, I had one of my actors say to me, and I actually said in a post-9-11 world, so that's a whole other story, but the guy who was playing the young lawyer in it, he said to me, Dan, I'm really stuck. I don't know 
how to tackle it. And I said, you heard I play Angels in America? He said, yes. I said, I want you to go home, Google Roy Cohen for me. Came back the next day. Did you know Roy Cohen was part of a McCarthy trial, which is based on a crucible? Yeah. Oh, really? Says yeah. Dan, acting <laughs> face. No, <laughs> which wasn't very successful. But do you, do you yeah. think some organisations have kicked back from, <laughs> from employing um, creatives who have uh, neurodivergence? Because of the expense associated, because they think, oh, if we hire him, we've got to have a scribe, we've got to have this, we've got to have that. I would say yes, but at the same time, do I say by you having me here today and other work later doing this space, I would hope, when I say in time, time's running out, <laughs> no, but in time, you know, people would be aware that literally come have the person, or and as I said, not just Dan Graham, but have the people in a sector who, let's say neurodiversity because this is where we're going, you know, yeah, yeah. come to him and say to him, okay, Dan, do you need a scribe? If I needed a scribe, if I felt it was needed, and dare I say, I may not say this bluntly, and this is on record now, and it wouldn't penalise against me because obviously they wouldn't say it would or wouldn't because that's a whole different scary way to go or, you know, path to go. But I should at least, or a person with a disability or neurodiversity, should at least have an option. And as I said to you, very rarely, I would take notes. And as I said, like, I think, again, it gets back to, you know, the style of director that I am, that I am all about, and obviously I have my other creatives and crew working with me, but I do literally like that production of a crucible i had it in mind five years before i actually got to put it on how i wanted i was i won't say jokingly because it's a bit disturbing but i always make a comment that when i the first image that came to my mind which i had um just as a play was uh, before the first bit of dialogue which also had five minutes of peanut bush movement inspired for good measure. What can I say? You know, was literally a video footage of, and you may, oh, you probably have seen it, Peter, and some of your listeners may have as well, was when Katie Coeck hosted the Today Show, said it's a beautiful Tuesday morning, there's not a cloud in the sky, you know, and literally 10 minutes later, the world changed as we know it. Mm. When I was in New York, as my mum says, when I was in Syria, <laughs> you know, but when I was in New York, Maybe there's a bad example, but you know. But when I was in New York, I went to visit, out of respect, the uh, Ground Zero. In the museum, the first thing you see as you go, it may have changed now, because as we said, but the first thing you see as you go into the exhibit, which is obviously huge because that whole site is... You went the fire, fire truck? No, no. no right. is that's, that, that's the thing that stands out. It's a truck, yeah. absolutely. But the first bit, sorry, the first bit of video footage. Oh, yes. Sorry, is that footage of Cody yeah. Coeck's. Um, yeah, absolutely. Lad, and, and I wasn't inspired by that. That was right. after right. what I saw. I saw the thing at 9-11 post when I did uh, The Crucible. Right. And that literally came from, <laughs> I was going to say my director's vision, but, you know, it came from, me seeing the whole picture and I think that's should be not just encouraged but also embraced and utilized and yes so neurodivergence let's define it so it's just just thinking in different ways it's I mean I I know it's it's an umbrella term for things like autism and ADHD and and all that sort of thing but it's it's not that you're challenged you're just approaching things differently 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 I always say like okay 
as I said to you, if you got me to write a page for you now, I could do it, but we probably would be here till you interview me again. <laughs> so it's next week. No, and that's not bad. No, but you know, it would take me some time to, to do it. But it is that whole funny thing is I am of a generation, which is very sad to say, that when I, up till my last few years of high school, and ironically, the last few years of high school was actually at a place called Bradfield College, which I always, always say, it's quite funny that Rose Boone was a year above me. She gave a speech um, uh, to um, a couple of years ago to the students, you know, this is what you can become post-student. We had a shame drama teacher and she met with me, saw me at some function and this, the drama teacher did. And she said, will you do it this year? My joke was, couldn't, uh, can't you ask Rose? And she said she was last year, so what can I say? Yeah. But <laughs> my point is, in terms of that, you know, pre-Bradfield, and I am of a generation, and sadly, from my experience with, when I say young people, 20s, let's say 20s up, you know, I still have an attitude of some people still see, you know, neurodiversity as, and again, I'm sound like Seinfeld, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, still people do see this as an intellectual disability, which, as you just said, Peter, isn't. It's more, it's a, it's a viewpoint that, that uh, the brain has differences that are normal. Yeah. And they're not deficits. That's my response because I think it was very funny. I was thinking, as you were just saying that, when I moved back up to Sydney, and I won't say the play, but I will say dealt with disability issues, it would have been an Australian premiere. A company has since picked it up. Uh, but a company was calling for proposals, and I was just moving back from after 10 years in Tasmania, which is a whole podcast in itself, you know, actually a few podcasts. Why did you start when yourself? The, the Dan Graham podcast series. I should judge charging, you know, the <laughs> private answer. What can I say? You know, put a coin in. Uh, oh, God, that sounds bad. Sure. Mum, no, don't listen. Um, you know, and I was really... And I actually had... Um, it was... Uh, duh, 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 I had someone who actually had a dis, the disability that needed to... Of the, the character was written as in, in it. And I actually had two very well-known actors who I know you, you put, and I will say off uh, uh, this, who they were, who are very well known, again, who the public know, who'd agreed to be in a profit share, welcome to profit share, independent artists, you know, show with me directing. I hadn't heard from the company in about four weeks, and as we know, things take time, and this isn't before COVID, hadn't heard anything, and again, I won't say who, where, what, why, um, someone was on a on a selection committee to choose what plays were being picked, and one of the people on that committee knew me in a previous lifetime. In a previous lifetime, and the comment was, "Oh, you know, Dan has a disability," and that was actually said to me. And and obviously that wasn't said in writing because we know what that qualifies as right. discrimination. Yeah. And that was obviously I'm a different person now, but at that time. I won't say I accepted it, but that literally, there was no... It was your default reaction, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wasn't it? I, I was, oh, okay, you know. But it, I know that was put was against now, me. Now you would correct. Absolutely. Probably too much sometimes. <laughs> no. Shut up, Dan. Are there, are there <laughs> many trained directors working professionally that have a disability in Australia? 
I would say yes. Again, I won't say who, but you know, I'm sure everyone will know someone they can think, if not has a disability, have suspicions as the word goes, you know. Let's not try to make it a red scare going back to the crucible, you know. But I always make the comment when I actually, early on in my journey, and I do call it a journey, in terms of the work that I'm doing in this space, I actually was made contact with a theatre company and one of the producers contacted me and we were just chatting away. And very early on in a conversation, they must not have seen what I was saying, that I was acknowledging my own neurodiversity disability. And there was, I won't say patronising, but I was informed, I think it's a nice way to put it, you know, there are no trained directors in Australia with a disability. I said to them, I'm sorry to disagree, but I can give you a name of six on top of my head. Who are they, Dan? I said, this gets back to what we, you and I just discussed, you know, uh, Peter. By you asking me that, is it back to any kind of hidden diversity? And I hate saying it as bluntly as that, but I can't think of a better way to say it. I said, the reason why people aren't public is because of prejudgments, and sometimes some of the prejud- worst prejudgments are when people think they're not judging, yep. if that makes sense. Yep, yep. And I... And they said to me, oh, come on, give us a name of one. I said, okay, I can give you a name of one. Oh, good, Dan, me, you know? And I was jokingly say it was the longest pinter pause I think I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it might have been in the state phone call as well, so blame my phone line. No, but you know, and it's that are directors out there. But I will say something that I'm very passionate about in terms of this is to get like, and I'm not finger pointing any institution in particular that it, do, it does all stem back from institutionals and institutions that's brought in institutions in terms of training institutions to provide the support available as a city of um of list just before we started i had or have had been accepted into the directing course at vca three years in a row the first year i didn't go because i had a residency at atlantic theater company uh, followed by I had, which you will see in our contact, Peter, um, the, my Creators of Earth Fellowship on meeting, when I say name them, I met them, access departments in London and Scotland. You know, I met like with a national, I'm still in touch with David Billwood, who's the head of access there, who's actually become a friend of mine. And Old Vic, World Court, go on, National Theatre Scotland, et cetera, et cetera. You've got around. Oh, what can I say? <laughs> Hopefully in a good way. Hopefully in a good way. I was able to bring a Toberone home from the airport. Uh, so how do all those doors open for you? You get you, you get access to those. those because I, I won't say, and I deliberately don't do the poor me mentality because I've never been brought up to have that idea because I've always had an attitude that's obviously... Dare I say, it's, I've I've always been brought up. Actually, some of the most disabled people are people without a disability. Back to our conversation this afternoon. <laughs> Again, no names, no factuals. But in terms of that, I have deliberately, you know, maybe maybe to a fault, maybe not. Depends who you talk to. You know, have put myself out there in a sense that basically it has only been the last couple of years I have been out in terms of in terms of my neurodiversity. Because I did see there were people, again, I won't say who, I'm, and I'm not being cute when I say that, but people, 
and at 42 I'm not cute anymore, <laughs> you know, saying to me, you know, they could speak on my behalf. E.g. another institution, which join the dots, I actually had a meeting interview with him a couple of years ago, or interview with him a couple of years ago, and I was told someone, on one of the students was going to be on the panel, and my response was, we're going to do it, oh, that's great, disability or otherwise, you know, the more representation, the better. And I and I said, I believe you know the person concerned. And it's someone I, I won't say socially, it's someone I bumped into in the disability access space, you know. And because you all know each other, of course. <laughs> and we're not even talking about theatre, are we? We're not even talking about theatre. I've looked on Facebook, as I told you early on, I think it was 200 Facebook people in common. I think we're up to 500 now. You know, <laughs> you know, you're not. You know, and I said, uh, yes, I... We, and this person doesn't have a disability, so that's probably why I, well, I was probably a bit more annoyed into this response. Oh, such and such is going to be on that panel because such and such can speak on your behalf. As your audience can tell, Peter, tell me to shut up. You know, I think I can speak on my behalf, you know. And I try to explain that whole, maybe elementary, what we're discussing here, but, you know, basically... If we're talking about access, like even when I said to him, like, what access support would be available for me when I got past annoyance, you know, and again, they had the power. It's something we've discussed before, you know. And I said, what happens in terms of um, if I get into doing this course, um, and God love them, VCA would be very supportive, trying to provide me support. And as I said, you know, in terms of if I was to do the course, and I didn't say, I got sidetracked, sorry. Second year, I didn't go because I actually was meant to have um, go back over to London because I had a directing residency at, not even a directing residency, directing backslash access residency at a Globe Theatre where David Bellwood was at the time. And I was going to present a uh, paper or a discussion on what we're talking about here with David at a Kennedy Centre's access um, conference in um, Ireland, unless COVID happened, Virgie, I couldn't afford it. So, e.g., that's why I didn't do VCA. And you were denied it, though, didn't you? You did the, the tech course, did you? No, no I got no. in to do the directing course when I finished year 12. Because, right. again, talking about, and I'm not um, I'm trying to put anyone down when I say this, at that time, I saw letters as high as I could ever go in terms of theatre, you know, and that, but then you have. Fast forward after finish off my BA, and I actually there we go, Wimich. I wonder why Dan was talking about, you know, <laughs> my name's Mud already. No, you know, and I actually did try for the directing course, and the first time I tried for the directing course at NIDA, I actually got shortlisted without directing a single thing, which I think is still hysterical. And at that time, the head of directing, and I'm still in touch with a lot of where I classify as old NIDA, and people will know what I mean when I say this, you know, and I was told I was definitely in the next year, but I had to try to get some experience. If I can remind people, I was in Tasmania, you know, and Tasmania, I've got friends that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. I'm God's, oops, God's son, that's funny. I'm godfather to one of my best friends down there, etc., etc. So I still have very close ties to Tassie, but let's just say um, it wasn't as easy as, it's not easy at all having a career in the arts, um, performing no, arts, but no. even more difficult. 
So more, let's, more, more so as a director. Exactly. So there's less work. Uh, I've heard of him as one director. Sometimes <laughs> it's only half a director, but it's another story for another time. Anyway, and I, and I actually, that's how I ended up doing my master's because I had started off honours in English. Ironically, I wanted to write about angels in America. At that time, it was going to be a, a post uh, reflection on a post 9 11 era compared to the Reagan era because at that time, this was 2003 4, when we thought um, Bush Jr. was the worst US president we would ever have. How times change, you know. Uh, but unfortunately, my supervisor done uh, uh, Tassie deemed it as too controversial, oh. and that's how I ended up trying out for night and not expecting to even be shortlisted and start, did do the masters up in Launceston but back to with lad and I just I think it was that whole funny thing is like when I was talk, back to what we were saying and I said in terms of NIDA yes uh, they were talking to me recently you know as I said when I tried it the last time and a comment was Oh, we can discuss about access support we could provide you with if you get in. Again, Dan putting his access hat on, not even Dan Graham hat on. You know, I would like to think, and in my research and my investigation, I, I met the National Conservatoire in Scotland, in Glasgow's access department. I even met a Wada's access department and seen incredible work they're doing. And basically, they informed me all about neurodiversity. And I feel like, yeah, I've read a book, you know. <laughs> metaphorically and physically you know and it was basically just like i f would like to think and as i said i'm not pitching whole night when i say this and as i said it's any um performing arts theater arts full stop institution a student disability of any sort if they have the credentials and I hate because define credentials as we know or whatever you know and uh desire the willingness, etc., the talent, and I'm, you know, they should be, they shouldn't think it's penalises them for not going. I had a number of numerous institutions, when I say young people, as we sit in their twenties, recently, as it's in the last couple of years, contacting me, Dan, saying to me, "We're not getting support, Dan. What can we do?" Well, I don't have the power, <laughs> you know. I said, "I can hear you out," you know, but I obviously. When I, say, I won't say I'm a lone voice because there's a lot of other people working in this space. But it's like I fast forward or rewind to only a couple of years ago. Uh, I worked with a performer with a disability on, on a show who was doing uh, an arts course. And a lot of the access difficulties, for better word, he was having was the same that I was having when I was his age. And no, I'm not a hundred, but it's dreadful to say that a lot of those issues are still in play today. And like, if we are representing, if we are as an industry, and this is the arts in general in Australia, representing diversity in its whole, we have to remember, if I can be blunt here, uh, that disability is part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily, you know, like, as I said, like not every, what I said just now moments ago, not everyone's going to be wanting a career in arts who has a disability. Not everyone without a disability mm. is going to want a career mm. in arts. Mm. Mm. But it should be that opportunity, you know, yes. to, to take to it be, if you want it. To take if you want it, exactly. Um, have you seen that um, American series called Special? Yes, I have. 
but uh, I, I forget the young man's name. Ryan O'Connell, I think. Ryan O'Connell, I think yeah. it is. Who wrote it, yes. created it, started yep. it. Yep, uh, About a, a young man with cerebral palsy yep. uh, and a queer man. Exactly. Dating. Yep, yep. Fantastic series. It's great. And yeah. I, I think he's also a producer behind the new Queer as Folk. He is indeed. Yeah, yeah. So that must give you hope. It does give me hope, but I would like to think basically how it's that whole funny thing is that after I'm having this whole discussion with you and people say, oh, yeah, you're backflipping what I'm saying, or what I'm saying, but I don't necessarily want to be Dan Graham, the new diverse director, nor do I be seen as the queer director. Yeah. I just want to be seen, <laughs> let's just to quote another famous queer um, category of folklore, um, Will and Grace, I don't want to be just Dan, to quote just Jack, you know, you know, take that off. You want to be seen as a director. Absolutely, a, absolutely. A good director. A, a good director, but I think it's that funny thing in terms of when we get to it, in terms of opportunities, like, as I've said to you, like, I... I say bluntly, I'm not saying I'm the best director. I'm not saying I'm the worst director. But I find it very frustrating and I'm not saying this. And because this often gets told to me, we live in a smaller population. Yes, that is true. Compared to the US, I acknowledge that. But I think it's very disheartening personally. And now I'm on a counsellor's couch here when I say this, that most of my opportunities in terms of, and I'm not even talking about access, I'm talking in terms of my my practice, you know, have, have been and are available to me overseas. In the last, since we've made contact to do this interview and I started telling you a week or so back, I've been accepted to, I've already been accepted into, or attended to in the past, um, director's labs. One was in Chicago, which was, another one was in LA at Pasadena Playhouse, you know. And I've just in the last few weeks been accepted into director's lab north in Toronto. And dare I say, it's a dreadful quality say, I didn't get in because of my disability. You know, you know, scary concept. You know? So how, how do you fund all of that if you're, you're travelling and living overseas? And- this is where I say I love all arts funding bodies. Thank you so much for all your support. I hope to continue this relationship. Thank you. You know? Oh, that's, no, that's great. No, They're no, which has, been, yeah. which has been fantastic. And I'm very grateful to those opportunities because it's no way in the world that I would be able to do so otherwise, which gets back to another concern or issue, which if I can bring up here, Peter, and that is in terms of my particular disability also involves elements, when I mentioned about whiting, of fine motor coordination, e.g. what you said about a scribe. Guess what? You know what a scribe is, so I don't have to describe that. You mean someone does work for you? I always make a joke, my mum in year 11 actually scribed assignments for me i remember she read it out to me and i said to her and she's now retired as i said assistant principal i said mum you didn't put a full stop there you didn't tell me to put one there let's see how how to the, no to the law yeah, yeah you know not law but you know my work was my work you know so, so you, you grew up in Sydney? I did indeed. Yeah, Sydney boy. What were the artistic influences in your, in your childhood? Were, were you taken to the theatre? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm very lucky that my mum, as I said, was assistant principal, who was in charge of the concerts. It was a primary school, you know, Lower North Shore, don't put that against me, uh, who ended up going to an art school, you know, <laughs> take that away as well. But um, she, one of my earliest memories was, and this does show my age, was she put on at her school the Year of Peace concert. And one of my earliest memories was she actually did a whole kind of piece based on Sadako and her thousand cranes, 
and literally she beautiful story beautiful and she literally had I think the kids making a thousand and one you know cranes at the same time and it's so funny Vince said come to you as we talk she also because she was in also in charge of a choir she had a choir sing in um, Rainbow Connection, you know, from... Kermit the Frog. From, absolutely. Muppet movie. Absolutely. But she had, um, do, as well as singing, she got him to sign, which I totally didn't encompass, you know, as a six-year-old. And obviously that was mum doing something. But at the same time, um, my father, who's no longer with us, alive that is, you know... It, uh, and people always try to get information and you're not going to succeed, Pete. Many have tried getting information. But he was right. a professor of literature right. as well as a published poet. And ironically, if I mention countries concerned and people who know me probably can do the maths, when I was in Launceston, because I was trying to work out what kind of director I wanted to become, back to that whole idea of being a method director, and as I said, I knew a bit about my uh, grandparents uh, but they had both died before I was born, so I didn't really... I only knew bits and pieces. As one does once in a blue moon, I did a bit of a Google, and I found out that my grandfather, in the country um, where they were, created a first drama school, you know, in that country. And it was also, ironically, friends with Stanislavski. Oh, wow. You know, so it's funny things that... It all... When I say it all makes sense... Mum always jokingly, or maybe she's serious when she says this, I was told Dan to follow his dreams in terms of career because he's going to be at it for a very long time. I forgot to mention money. That's one thing I forgot to mention, alas, performing arts. But back to what you were saying, I was taken to like STC, etc. One of my earliest, um, uh, or, or not earliest, but one of my greatest memories that really... As I said, even as 18, 19, I didn't even encompass, consider career in directing. And as I said, and e.g., I did what most creative people probably do, and that is a BA in communications, because that's creative. You so know. what were your career aspirations? What As a teenager, you mean? Or? Yeah, yeah, growing up. Did you, was it a thought that you would work in, in entertainment or the theatre? It, it was a hope, but at the same time, back to what I said before, Peter... Luckily, at home, I've always been encouraged to follow what I believe is true. Yeah. You know, yeah. unfortunately, the education system did not share that vision, you know, and I always give the funny story, if I can put here, at uh, the school I was at, and I won't say where, um, previously, um, before I went to Bradfield, as a... 14, 15-year-old, where you, oh, to say I was called stupid was the nice, nicest thing I was called. By kids or teachers? No, teachers. Teachers, teachers, no. teachers, teachers. Teachers, literally, you know, that's just, yeah. I'm not trying to get emotional, but, you know. It's, no, well, it's, that, no, that's, no. That, that scars a kid. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it's it's those things which are said by a teacher. Exactly. That stay with you. I've got stuff that's still with me that haunts me. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And there are times I think to myself, oh, come on, Dan, you're 42. But I think to myself, back to what I was saying, that obviously you try to grab on anything you can hold on to. And I remembered at that time, 15, 16, and so, like, um, it was before, sadly, he left us. John F. Kennedy Jr. became a hero of mine from afar. 
because I had done some research, another thing I love doing <laughs> as a director, as well as directing actors, obviously, found, found out that he actually was neurodiverse himself, had dyslexia. You know, JFK? Yeah, Junior, Junior. Oh, right. As well as JFK, but J- right. uh, Junior himself did. Yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of the things just went true. And I remember we were at a news agency one day after work, my finished school, and I had heard that John F. Kennedy was going to be publishing a monthly magazine, George, mm. and it was a cover, the cover of it was Cindy Crawford dressed up as George Washington. And without giving too much information, I, don't, I wasn't looking at the pictures. I was really reading the articles. More right. as that one. Anyway, <laughs> trust me, you know, take that over you want to. Anyway. I think we know. I know. But, you know, it was really funny. I took it to that school with me because it was almost like almost like my safety, you know, if you, and I read it. Mum was apparently called uh, away from um, her office, you know, at the school she was assistant principal with her. And she said, we're very concerned about Daniel. And by this stage, as I said, to say I was called stupid was the ni- of some of the nicest things I was um, called. And literally, and mum said, yes, Dan's got a pornography magazine with him. Um, pardon? He's got a pornography magazine with him. And mum, obviously, being a very understatement, an intelligent woman, she said, um, have you got it with you? Oh, yes, we took it off Daniel straight away. Is it called George? Yes. I know Dan. Has he tried to explain? Oh, he's tried to make some excuse or something, which is just what we discussed, you know. Just dismiss you. Oh, yeah. At best. At best, absolutely. And literally, it was moments like that that gave me, you know, things to look up to. And I also remember, it's so funny, like, as going earlier than that, uh, in primary school, I remember seeing who is, since someone obviously I look up to, any director hopefully would think he's an incredible actor, Daniel Day-Lewis in My Left Foot mm. was a great influence. And finding <laughs> as much as a little kid can, but as I said at back, I was always, it's very interesting. I was, the joke was, the one thing I always wanted for Christmas was the Guinness Book of Records, you know? <laughs> Talking neurodiversity facts, did I say? No, but you know, it was literally, you know, I was always interested in the world around me, which is also another misconception of a neurodiversity, that people literally just are so inward, you know. The, the, yes, um, internal. I'm, I'm um, trying to think of a word, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally, I was always interested in the, in the bigger world. picture. Yeah, yeah, the world, yeah, the yeah. world around yeah, us. Yeah. And I remember that was a huge influence. And it was basically just, I think, if you need slow. I always say, I was, and this is true, I was sent to acting classes as a kid by mum at eight or nine. At ACYP? Exactly, yeah. exactly, that office, <laughs> you know, because literally at that time, you know, as I said, except for home, I really not just didn't have an outlet, you know, I literally was not, when I say I wasn't acknowledged, oh God, that sounds a bit needy, too theatre for me. No, but I wasn't seen. I think it's a nice way to put seen. it. Yeah, it's a great word. Yep. That's a great word. I, I wasn't seen. And I remember something like that. But I, it's really funny, Peter, as we talk, it was never two things. I never saw myself as an actor. Uh, and I had done acting as time went on. Yes, I said with Bradfield, etc. 
Bradfield sounds like a bit of a, a saving. It was. It was absolutely place you, it, a place where you found your tribe, perhaps. Um, not even my tribe, but actually being actually acknowledged that I had something. Right. You know, what that was, you know, nurtured, <laughs> nurtured, absolutely. Yeah. And I even remember back to to some moments that stick with you, which you said a moment ago. I remember in year twelve, it came to the time to do what my major artwork would be. And I remember, and I had friends of, at that stage because I didn't say here. In year 12, I worked one day, volunteered in work experience, one day a week, which was part of a Bradfield's um, program. I actually worked at STC, at Sydney Theatre Company, you know, and I had uh, friends there, and a friend who actually helped me get this remains a friend of mine to this day, who's no longer at STC, but in the performing arts. And I remember seeing that they were going to do a production of Liebert, you know, on Robert Hilpman. Oh, yes, with Tyler Coppin. Exactly. Yeah. Who, ironically, I've only just reconnected with. He saw Sam I Am I Did in Melbourne um, when Neil Armfield came to see it, which was so funny. And he said, I know you from somewhere, Dan. I said, would you believe it? Dan, you were a kid. I said, yes, grey hair now, what can I say? You know, <laughs> and I meant me, not Tyler. <laughs> you know, and I actually came up with idea back to what you see, what maybe this is very indicative where I was going. I saw theatre to me as being my religion. And obviously I saw Robert Heltman as being the icon of Australian theatre, of Australian performing arts. And I created, for a better word, a Russian triptych, or my version of a Russian triptych, with I think Bradfield still paying off all the gold leaf I used, you know, you know, and made a triptych with taking photos, and it shows how old I am, Peter, I had to use a manual camera, not a digital camera, which I had to explain to one of my young actors a couple of months ago what a normal camera was. And, and go into a dark room. And a dark room. Yeah. And I took these photos backstage of Liebert with quotes of famous people referring to theatre. So that literally, when I was there, it was metamorphosis, in a sense, brought back my love. But as I said, it was never about acting, but I'd always maybe this was in terms of a technical side of things, I'd always been, even as a little kid, always been interested in behind the scenes, looking at it. It was always directing, as I said, how much, and I'm talking little now, I'm talking the five, six, bow tie, whatever, you know, know what a director is, but it was always about, what we said, the bigger picture for me, so. Tell me about Sam I Am. Oh, Okay, how long have we got? Okay, <laughs> still in counselling for me. No, I didn't mean a bad joke. Um, it, it, it was quite a triumph for you, wasn't it? It was, okay. it was, because it was actually, because back to what we were saying, and I'm the first to acknowledge that being, which I would be identified as, being an independent artist, it's a difficult road I've chosen, you know. This, this business could show, as I always say, you know, but I actually... It was probably Sam I Am was the first proper show since coming back up to Sydney and do a bit of Googling, he was, say, took a bit of time to actually get to have a show seen, e.g. I got seen, if that makes sense. On some sort of stage. On stage, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not a scout hall, Google. Uh, <laughs> big joke. Uh, and that literally came to me, I was, again, when I was in New York, God, Mum's going to say, oh, shut up, Dan. You know, in New York, I actually had Sam Martin, who was my co-creator and performer, who actually wrote the piece, um, Sam I Am, um, contacting me, hearing about the work I was doing in terms of access, and saying to me, 
would I consider directing the deaf queer uh, Mardi Gras float? You know, which I obviously would have been super keen, but it's not every time you have to say, sorry, I can't, I'm at Atlantic Theatre Company with Isabel Herbert. I contact you when I get back, which I did, because man of my word, which he wasn't expecting, but, and I said, let's make for a coffee and at least chat. As he was talking to him, and maybe this is me giving my director secrets, a lot of what Sam was saying I could relate to. But I've been a queer man, I almost said young man, but my journey as a queer young man, as well as someone with a disability, because Sam himself is gay as well as, and he is out, so I can say, as well as uh, deaf, hard of hearing. And as he was talking, I could see a lot of, if I be blunt, Peter, a lot of correlations about his journey and my journey. Yeah, he had a plebiscite for good measure, you know, as dare I say the subtext, which became the subtext, the backdrop, so to speak, of the piece we created. But I always jokingly refer to Sam I Am The Peace as just imagine a 20-something-year-old gay deaf young man doing his interpretation of Joan Didion's year of magical thinking. Oh, yeah. We didn't have Robin Nevin or Joan Didion, but that was our version, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, yeah. so well, a, a great model to follow. Oh, I think it? so. Yeah. Oh, Joan Didion, she did Worked for them. Oh, did the job. <laughs> we didn't have a Marnie sponsoring us, but it's a different story. Anyway, and I, and I was just talking to Sam. I said, would he ever consider doing an autobiographical piece in that vein? I did a two that told Joan Didion reference, and he said he would think about it. I amazingly, at that stage, saw being an independent artist, you always look what opportunities are available, unless it's not neurodiversity, just being an artist. And I saw Brand X, um, the flying aunt, were calling out for um, uh, proposals to that would offer a one-week development followed by two performances showing of what was created. And I... <laughs> I don't think Sam was expecting me to come so quickly. It was a period of literally a couple of days. I said, I've seen this. I think we should put in for it. And one of the questions was, I'm tired of work. And unfortunately, everyone thinks I'm referring to the Sean Penn movie. You know, I'm Sam or whatever it was. Oh, it was Dr. Seuss. Or Dr. Seuss is other <laughs> thing that people compare to. And I just stupidly said to him, oh, I'll just put Sam I am down. Yeah. Oh, and it's it, great. And it's dark. Yeah. And it's dark. But I actually, when I spoke, we came um, for the interview, audition, whatever you want to call it, with James Abrenix, who, as you know, know now, I'm now the access consultant, which comes back to, it all comes full circle. You know, I said to him that what I would love Sam I am to be, I don't want it to be a preaching exercise. And back to what I said before, number one, I don't want to be the neurodiverse nor the career director, just a director. But I wanted just to tell a story of a young man who happens to be gay, who happens to be deaf. Did I say it was autobiographical about Dan? But maybe I didn't. Anyway, we would, and I said, what I love to think is, and James would acknowledge this now, but it's things are rapidly changing. And I'm sure you know this, Peter. We've lived with the city of Sydney uh, uh, Arts Hub now along Baffert Street, opening in a couple of weeks. It's getting bigger and bigger since, you know, even I've been in contact with him. I said, would it be great to not just even just have the inverted commas, the uh, audio transcription, but have someone else who's deaf, who we were lucky to have a um, uh, deaf, hard of hearing performer, Danny White, who's also become a friend of mine, 
almost as for a better word and I hope this makes sense almost be the Greek chorus to Sam yeah. in terms of play the other characters not acting like hi I'm Dan hi such and such you say I said hi I'm Dan not literally no. signing or Auslanding no no but literally word. no 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 but yeah. literally in but, but there were times you could do that as well yeah and then we had a transcription as well what an incredible we could literally fly the gamut of access to it to show back to something you said to me earlier on Peter that that a little show like this with next to no budget yeah. and trust me you know next to no budget you know and you can, uh, but it's amazing what you can pull out of a hat when you have next to no budget isn't it the, absolutely the, 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 the creative juices are really forced to flow and I think that's a thing absolutely you know as I said like in terms of that you know and I said let's just see what we could do and as I was talking to him because we were getting along James Maddox and I I said to him what I would really love and I was literally I think I was when we got accepted it was a couple months before I went over for this create new services create new services fellowship on access and literally I came back from that at the end of October early November and we were on end of November so Probably was jet lag for the first four weeks, but okay. that's my excuse. No, but I did say, would it be wonderful to have Renex as a space to actually have what I classify as almost an not almost say what it is, Dan, an access department, e.g., I like have in the UK because when people hear, but back to what we said before, when people hear about access departments here in Australia, and I'm very close friends with both access departments at a Sydney Opera House right. at Victorian Arts Centre so I will start from saying that right. but more cases than not that's often for the audience yeah. you know but it's not just back to you say do you need a scribe yes. do you need an Auslan interpreter etc yeah. etc et yeah. you know and I said what do we for there would be actually someone a person could come to in dare I say it in this uh, world we live in a safe space to disclose if they have any access requirements, what they might be, what they want to do for the production, etc., as well as for the audience, as well as for any creatives that might be involved. Yeah. And it just simmered away. And as time went on, and I last we had COVID, so it's been delayed and we're back on track now, which is fantastic. Right. You know, James said to me, are you still interested in that idea? I said, yes. Would you consider doing it? And being so humble, of course, I said yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, absolutely. You know, so, and get paid, dare I say it as well, which is nice as well. But at the same time, like anyone in arts, unfortunately, that's not a full-time job. As time goes on, I like to think it could be. But it's, but if anything is, back what I was going to say also early on, part of when I was saying about my phone motor coordination, what is funny, and this is, again, a criticism, when people hear about... Um, performing artists they often think about the call centers coffee shops restaurants that those jobs and i'm again not getting the violins playing again is not available to me unless you wanted a, another production of 40 towers mm. you know mm. you know me spilling plates on people's laps well. exactly we is a battle you know <laughs> you know exactly you know i wouldn't suggest that but how do we create not just the opportunities in the performing arts space, but actually had like kind of like it's so funny, even simple things, and I'm happy to say it here. I'm in the seat of NDIS. I have put in my plan trying to get some support 
e.g. if I needed a scribe for, you know, proposals, submissions, etc. And my current plan, which has just been approved the last few months, when I was talking to my previous provider, which was an absolute disaster more ways than one, you know, one thing when I mentioned this to him, and mind you, I provided my CV because I wanted to put it in context, I was informed, Dan, we can help you with um, support in terms of arts. I know would never fund a full production, wouldn't say no, but you know, I know that wouldn't be possible. Mm. The comment to me was, Peter, oh, we can send you to an arts class and you can paint with other disabled people. That's not me. No. Not it's just. I bet that me. went down well, Dan. It did, but uh, I tried to explain <laughs> as I said, access had put out back again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Realizing that basically, you know, and we have to look like this as again, there's a lot of great art being done in that space. But mm-hmm. I will say this back to what I usually do, my which is this, my access speech, speech, space, <laughs> speech. You have two people with a neurodiversity. You're going to get two different people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and. I think it's that funny thing is that like realize what my I'm talking personally here, but what my uniqueness is. I always joke, uh, not jokingly, but I sit to mum. No, I've seen you today, and I brought had this deep philosophical conversation with mum in the past, and I've said to her, mum, if I didn't have a disability, what would I be? What I uh, can't even say sorry. What would I have been like? And in no pause at all, she said, "You just be, you would just be the same, but worse." <laughs> <laughs> Take that either way you want it, you know. But I'm yeah. sure life's never dull, Dan. Try not to make it, no. you know. Uh, just quickly yeah, before sure. we finish up, yeah, sure. Mad or bad? Yeah, it's a work that you've got in development. It I sounds have. absolutely yeah, fascinating. Exactly. Focusing on the characters of Shakespeare, whom exhibit marked neurodiversity Correct. difficulties. Correct. Um, uh, who are those characters? Take your pick, I always say, you know. And again, it gets back to, you know, do I say, as I said, you said Tasmania was good in a number of ways in terms of my learning. I always laugh that one of my tutors down there actually did a whole course about India, and this is how I want to clear this project, came into mind. I remember uh, there was an academic down in Tassie, had a whole unit on India and Shakespeare. And I thought, okay, which obviously I can say, yeah, we're not... Even talking about Peter Book, you know, okay, all good, you know. And I thought to myself, hang on, because it's funny, again, just me personally, I, I don't want to say ban, admire, but I've all, I responded to Shakespeare, or understood, <laughs> that sounds elitist, but understood Shakespeare from a very early age. Take that either way you wanted, you know, as I said, someone who couldn't wait till I was eight, you know, but... You know, I, I think you know your father being a poet. Obviously, those creative genes are there. We and other things, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, and I remember in terms of that, we were just, and I thought to myself, actually, and I actually did a bit of a Google, and I said I couldn't find anything much at that time. This was some years ago, and people can correct me if I'm wrong when I say this because. I can answer that, you know, couldn't see much about disability full stop and Shakespeare. Because he wrote about everything else, didn't he? Covered everything else. Exactly, why not disability? Yeah. yeah. And as I was thinking about it, I thought to myself, look at all the characters, e.g. if you look at Hamlet, for example, as we know, B.L. Shakespeare's just a production. 
and it's Bill Shakespeare, uh, along with Accessible Arts uh, and Sydney Festival, have been supporting me on this project. And hinting if people want to support it even more, Peter can direct uh, all messages to the Dan Graeme Belivering Fund. So there you go. Anyway, uh, and I was thinking to myself, look in Hamlet, he suffered depression, which is an element of, not an element, a form of neurodiversity, you know? If you look at, to another extreme, if you look at someone like Lear, who suffers, you know, what we may know as dementia, Alzheimer's, which I would still put in a neurodiverse canon, you know? uh, Ophelia, you know, suicidal, you know, etc. And I'm not saying if you know a diverse suicide, I'm not saying it at no, all. No, 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 no. So, no, 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 no. But she obviously has mental health issues. Exactly. Yeah, Lady Macbeth. Who's, Lady who's postnatal depression. Yeah, yeah, overcome by grief. Exactly, etc. As I said, we could go on and on. Guilt. Sorry. Guilt, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I remember thinking of a no, there's something in this. And I literally, uh, because uh, Pete Evans has been a great supporter of mine, I actually met Pete when I was doing my master's. Um, and because I always jokingly say the most successful piece of theatre in Tassie each year was a uni review that's what everyone saw 14,000 people saw that Bill Shakespeare was a interstate theatre which I revelled each year to see which obviously I still revelled seeing today and that's how I met Pete and I originally which sidetrack I actually did picture to another theatre company this idea of developing this concept of just what we said, mad or bad, which is a working title, which I've since had a number of people of like, not at Bell, but people in the industry contacting me, it's a they're big concerned about the title. And I said it's meant to be prerogative prerogative, sorry. It's meant to be um what's the word I'm looking for? It's meant to, you know, widen people's eyes, you know, it's it certainly, yes, makes you take notes. Make you take notes. Yeah. You know, it's not saying mad or bad. It's just people's yeah, there's no, perceptions. There's no question mark there. <laughs> exactly. I'm just bad. No. <laughs> you know, no, nah, I don't know. You know, and I pitched it to an other theatre company, which, again, will remain nameless. And it was someone who I'd met numerous times in a theatre context. And they said to me, Dan, um, we were having a meeting, and I deliberately didn't pitch it to Bill originally because I know... I know I've known Peter for some time. Plus, it's built Shakespeare, you know. Hey, guess what? I've got a Shakespeare idea, you know. And I pitched it to said other company and said, what's your connection to neurodiversity, Dan? Hyperventilating inside, you know. I said, well, I'm neurodiverse myself. I kid you not, Peter, and again, I won't say who or where, with another proverbial pause. but you're seen as so normal, Dan. How's that possible? This is only three years ago. So we're not talking a different lifetime. We're talking very recently. Wow. And that, again, probably made push myself, pushed me even further into this whole realm of access that I've <laughs> pushed myself into, if that makes sense. And I thought to myself, hang on, this is someone, not a friend of mine, but someone who knows of me, met me a number of times, and that's the attitude and how do we try to and at the same time back to sam i am i don't want it to be you know you know all the poor disabled neurodiverse people because to me if anything that's not interesting to me i'm sorry just to be blunt you know and i pitched it to pete 
who we are currently, as I said, along with Accessible Arts, who I'm in contact with, Sydney Festival, um, got funding for a development. We're applying for more funding now, post-COVID. So touch wood, we can get to next stage and hopefully in this lifetime, get on a production, let's hope, you know. And But as well as that, my not hope, we had at, in a development, was to actually have actors who are actually neurodiverse in oh, the roles yeah, great, as well. Great, great. Because it also became evident to me, I wanted, which Accessible Arts supported, and we only had a one-week window, so it wasn't long at all. And again, because of people's prejudgments, I got people to um, answer survey if they identified as neurodiverse, and it was publicised on bills, socials, accessible arts, socials, cine festivals, etc., to say about, excuse the pun, their good, bad, or indifferent experiences being neurodiverse in the industry, privately knowing that I was a lone unicorn, so to speak, and in a week we had 60 people respond. Wow. So if I can not leave it at that, but make that comment, we aren't talking about... I'm not the only one, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And uh, just and it was very interesting, especially that first one. I was make say it was almost like a counseling session for the last week. Yeah, but just, there's a whole there's a whole host of of performers out there with uh, who are neurodivergent yes. or have disabilities yeah. of various degrees, yeah. um, who are waiting for their opportunity to to take the stage. But and then back to what I said at the very start, Peter. The dreadful thing is, and this is me been judging but it's just a fact because as I said my own experiences personal experiences and I, as well as those have contacted me as I said young and established performers we're talking about performers here you know because obviously the stage crew are neurodiverse as well as designers you know lighting playwrights <laughs> name it we are there yeah. you know who say to me Dan if we mention it we won't get work yeah. Yeah. and I think it's very sad when I do have discussions with people like as you will also be aware, I have been very much supported by um, APAM to do, I've got one more to go and I'm actually doing some other work throughout the year, which is yet to be discussed, uh, announced, in terms of the access space. Because I literally came to them seeing, as I see it, and other people will confirm this, who, who would be open, you know, there hasn't been the openness or the open discussion, what we're having now, to actually discuss about, as I said, neurodiversity is my particular subject, but I'm talking about disability in the performing arts. And it was just fascinating because even when you, I think it's, and we haven't even brought this up, I'm directing um, a play called Teenage Dick. If I can just bring that up, Peter, very quickly. Yes, yes yeah, the, so, the news is coming in. Basically, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Martin be back on TV by the time we finish this. Love you, Wayne. Um, tell so, us about yes. Tell us about your okay. dick. Just with teenage dick, yeah. I literally had heard about the production while I was in London, and I want to claim missed it by two days. Right. Seen it, and as the audience will be aware of, Dan Monks, who's oh, yeah, one yeah. of my best performers, and, who uh, happens to have a disability, do I say? Yes. You um, know. Uh, Lord of the Flies at STC. Exactly. Normal Heart is just done. season at uh, the National. National, yeah. exactly, exactly. And I was making a joke, back, talking to David, who I told you, he's the head of access there. I said to him, because Liz Carr, <coughs> which you have also seen... Who just won the Olivia, Olivia eh? Exactly, which was yeah. incredible. And I recommend people who wonder, if I'm just carrying on here, to watch her speech... She's probably put in five minutes what I've yapped on above all 
however long I've been talking with you this afternoon. But with uh, that show, um, Teenage Dick, for, for my interest in Shakespeare, obviously it jumped out at me that it was, or it is, because it's a, still going, it's a retelling of Richard III told in his um, last year of high school with Richard being a disabled I say individual because I've actually even flipped that on the head. I've actually got a female actress playing Richard in my production, you know, who is one of the best uh, girl cook, or young woman, I should say, uh, and she listens, and I mean this, Cook Crystal is probably one of the best actors I've ever worked with, full stop disability otherwise, and it's, as we know, Richard is hard at the best of times, and the reason also why Teenage Dick jumped up to me, someone who is a friend of mine, who also uh, has discussed things, which people can publicly as well, is Kate Mavoni. And yeah. one of my greatest inspirations in terms of what we're just talking about was her production of Richard III, mm. again, which she did Rebel yeah. a couple of years ago. And she's very kindly come on board to be like a mentor, not like a, become a mentor to Crystal, mm. which is fantastic, mm. you know, to give her, you know, the inroads in terms of Shakespeare, lived experience, etc., etc. But the production really jumped out to me. And as I said to you, I have pitched, had pitched it to a number of companies up here. Obviously, a theater company has their pro, um, reasons why, but none of them were interested. As I said, off, off here, I actually have been doing a, or am co-writing um, a chapter uh, with one of the staff members, um, um, at a woman called Susan, Susanna, who it's we always laugh. I, I call her my Perth mum, and we haven't even met in person yet, you know. So, but we will be touch wood, lockdown preventing. We're going to it again, September and October. I will be in um, Curtin University, directing that. But it was very interesting when I made contact in the first place, and I've remained in contact with the playwright Mark Lou, in because I'm very interested in a playwright's intent. My whole honours paper, you said, was on that meant to be four interviews. I did 25, give you some idea, you know. And I remember saying, uh, he asked me um, why I should agree for me to put it on here, because this will be an Australian premiere, you know, of a play. And I, because the lead, male or female, he stipulates it must be a person with a disability. I uh, informed him and again, I didn't use disability, but I wanted to inform him. I myself identify having a disability neurodiversity. I can show you later, Peter, of support. It's, a, it's great that Dan's thinking about staging this production, how important it is in terms of representation, yeah. in terms of a lead. But to actually show that, dare I say, a, if I, I don't want to say now I get here, but a professional director, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. a professional director with a disability mm. is wanting to direct this production. How can I say no? Yeah. You know, because it's even more. That, yeah. And again, yeah. So if people are in Perth in uh, mid-October, please come along. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could see it. Love um, you. T- 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 teenage Dick, is it? Teenage Dick by Mike Lou. Yeah, fantastic. Dan, thank you so much. I'm glad that we eventually got together. Absolutely. Um, and a, a fantastic conversation about um, diversity in the arts and um, how I think the, the industry is getting better. Yep. Isn't it? 
isn't it? But there's still a long long road to hoe. I always make a comment. We always say we have to be invited to the table. I always, I always say with a smile, it'd be nice to be allowed to be wheeled into the table, walk over to the table, or at least have that space at the table in the first place. So, yes, I do see progress, but I think it's basically having these discussions and you... And I would say thank you to you, Peter, for having me, you know, on my, I sometimes jokingly say my soapbox, you know, you know, to, and as I said, like, obviously it is passionate because it's something that is personal to me. Yeah. But, you know, I think, as I said, like, I always say that I would love to think that if, and I have said this in previous discussions, both nationally and internationally, you know, especially in this time of COVID that I've had on this very topic, I would love to think, ideally, I don't know when, we wouldn't have to have this conversation. Yeah. That would be my hope, you know. And I just leave with you this. I thought it was wonderful when I saw a production um, at a National Theatre, part of this fellowship. There was um, a character who was on top, when I say on top of a stage, it was like a waste platform, you know, up at top. And, and literally almost... I almost jokingly said it was almost like a Wizard of Oz, the wizard, you know, moment, you know. And he was, I think it was in Ibsen play, so it was hardly that, but, you know. And I remember I uh, talked to the boss and I saw him, I said, hang on, that person's in a wheelchair. Oh my God. They're at the National Theatre in Olivia, you know, and literally, uh, you know, one of the big, you know, 18 plus cast, and were, can I just say it, Peter, one of the cast. It wasn't like, hey, you know, this is our disabled actor, you know. You know, this is one of our actors. It is such a privilege to record episodes like these. History, passion, insight and joy. There is always something new for us to learn. So if you enjoyed this conversation, you're bound to enjoy many more from the Stages Archive. You'll find conversations with Reg Livermore and Chloe Delamore, just to name a few more. You will find the podcast on Spotify, Wooshka and Apple Podcasts or anywhere you access your favourite podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so that you may receive each new episode as it drops. Take the time to rate and review the podcast too. And share it with your friends. It helps us a lot. Don't forget the Stages podcast is being featured in this year's Vivid Sydney Festival program with a three-evening series of conversations with leading arts practitioners. Come down to the Powerhouse Museum and be in the audience for Stages Live on June 2nd, 9th and or 16th. It will be a great opportunity to have the chance to say hello and be a part of the recording of these exciting episodes. Where I will talk to producer Carmen Pavlovich, who is having worldwide success with the musical Moulin Rouge presently. The um, set and costume designers Jennifer Irwin and Julie Lynch women at the top of their game and artistic director of the Griffin Theatre Company Declan Green I'm Peter Ayers, keep well, keep warm stay safe and I'll catch you next time on Stages <laughs>